I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on the traditional lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. We also acknowledge the traditional custodians at each of our delegate hubs and throughout the country, where many of our listeners will be based. This is a moment that requires leadership. China signing a security pact and looking to establish a base. People think I don't like China. I love China. The Pacific region has listed climate change as its number one threat. And so, friends, AUKUS is born. With a failure to invest in renewables. I want to thank uh, that fellow down under. I just have two more words to say. Obama out. Sylvia Luxmi, an Indonesian national, is a renowned subject matter expert in the field of anti-money laundering and counterterrorism financing. Her specialty is in counterterrorism, terrorist financing, and financial crime studies. She has worked as a senior intelligence analyst for 15 years in the Indonesian Financial Intelligence Unit in the specialized area of financial crimes intelligence investigations. Sylvia received her PhD from the Strategic and Defence Studies Centre at the Australian National University, examining Indonesian counter-terrorist financing policies and their impact on terrorist operations in Southeast Asia and the Asia-Pacific. The thesis focuses on the rising abuse of charities, women, and the advancing technology and payment systems. It serves as a base for future studies where the growing threats of terrorism may potentially lead to a new era of cyber-terrorism. Currently, Sylvia works as an academic tutor at the ANU, the University of Sydney, and as a research associate at Sentinel in Singapore. Apart from her research work, she is also an established trainer who has provided training to government officers and private sector specialists. She holds a Bachelor of Political Science, which included a thesis on the Abu Sayyaf Group from the University of Pajawan, Indonesia, and a Master's focused on terrorist financing study from the University of Indonesia. Sylvia, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Liam, uh, for inviting me here. It's a great pleasure for me to share my knowledge and experience in terrorism and terrorism financing. Yeah. No worries at all. So as we will be discussing violent extremism, political violence and terrorism, I'd first like to begin with the latter concept. So the term terrorism has become somewhat loaded nowadays, especially in academic circles. And before we dive deeper into the broader discussions on the topic, I'd first like to ask you how you define the term terrorism. From my understanding, terrorism refers more a strategy for a certain group. Uh, usually the non-state actors try to manifest their political motivation, whether to overthrow the government and also replace it with the one that the group um, considered to be the ideal one, including the radical religious ideology. Uh, ideology means here as a, a set of beliefs on which a political or economic system is based or which strongly influences the way people behave. So in generic terms, they want to manifest their ideology, which is their intent to clarify the reason people live for and to determine their goals and roles. But it is also uh, open with the state actors to do terrorism, as we understand terrorism as a strategy using violence, uh, whether it is um, involve leaders or leaderless jihad like we know and understand nowadays about terrorist uh, organizations. Of course. And so, Sylvia, what are some of the challenges in defining terrorism in Southeast Asia, noting the presence of separatist, violent and political movements across an array, array of countries? There are a lot of challenges, uh, but we need to uh, agree in certain or particular term that we adopted into the law. But most of terrorist groups that are growing in Southeast Asia are related with the 
um, political motivation. Uh, in Indonesia, for example, we have uh, uh, a, a history of religious terrorism existed in the country, started from uh, Negara Islam Indonesia, Jama Islamia, and then after the ISIS declaration in the Middle East and also in Indonesia, there are a lot of uh, groups pledge their allegiance to ISIS as well. But we also, in the uh, in the last few years, we also define terrorist organization refer to the Papua Liberation Movement, for example, as a new threat that, that we have to address. In Malaysia and Singapore, most of the religious terrorism arising uh, similar, the characteristic uh, similar with Indonesia, like from the Jama Islamia and its affiliates and also pro-ISIS groups. In the Philippines, uh, we have also communist parties, the CPP-NPA uh, is defined in their law as terrorist organizations as well. But they also have uh, Jama Islamia groups and pro-ISIS groups, uh, moral liberation movement, for example. That's a, an overview for terrorist organizations in Southeast Asia. So there are many approaches to counterterrorism from human intelligence and signals intelligence. And I want to refine our discussion to look at your area of expertise in financial intelligence. Could you explain this concept further and expand to include its importance in counterterrorism? In my area of expertise, uh, I have a look at financial intelligence approach in contributing to the counterterrorism. What is financial intelligence approach is more the elaboration of data of financial transactions or a series of transactions involving one or more entities uh, or persons of interest. And the approach sometimes identified through supervision, uh, through the financial service providers or financial intelligence units. Uh, we uh, research of the diligence or investigative actions by the financial institutions. That's a financial intelligence approach. Um, financial intelligence uh, approach provides data, uh, includes personally in identifiable information like the account details, date, time, currency amount, and transaction history. Uh, as I mentioned before, we elaborate all the information and try to track before and after uh, certain uh, event. Uh, and then this uh, analysis, the financial intelligence analysis, we give it or we disseminate to the law enforcement to all to help uh, on their investigation procedures. So why we apply financial intelligence approach for counterterrorism? Because uh, it is um, th some issues found by the law enforcement officers, like difficulties in finding criminal evidence, including the masterminds. So usually through the uh, law enforcement approach, you just arrest people working on the field without knowing who is the, mas the mastermind behind the attack. For example, the proceed of crime, or we call it as a blood of crime, usually involving money. Money is the key important element uh, when they try to prepare a uh, violent attack or bombing attack. So with the use of forensic accounting, um, we can have an investigative tools, investigative tool to track money using illegal activities. Um, from my experience working in this field, uh, how we use financial intelligence in finding uh, money for terrorism, for example, we try to identify and observe first the evolution of Islamic terrorist threats. And then from the evolution of Islamic terrorist threat, we found uh, people involved in the terrorist organizations or the social networks of them. And then we 
try to um, establish the pattern from the analysis, the pattern of terrorist activities and operations, how they get the money, how they use the money and how they move the money. So with knowing this um, financial management of terrorist organization, then we could find um, the sustainability of terrorist group in expanding the networks and also in obtaining the resources for the uh, the development of their group. Yeah. And in terms of looking at where this money is coming from, are you seeing from your research and experience, is this primarily from criminal activity or direct funding to the terrorist group itself? What's your experience with that been? So from my experience, especially in Southeast Asia region and Asia Pacific, uh, there are two primary resources for them from legal and illegal resources. Illegal resources means they use, uh, for example, criminal activities like robberies, cybercrime, uh, to, to get the money. And then in terms of legal activities, mostly now, the trend is they try to use charities, so collect money from the public uh, on behalf of humanitarian or religious reasons as cover. And then after that, they misuse this funding for uh, uh, financing, uh, not necessarily uh, military activities or ex- uh, bomb making, but also to sustain the families of terrorist uh, members, for example. Another example for uh, legal activities, like they conducting business, uh, so mingle the money from legal business and then they misuse uh, part of the money for funding their organizations. Um, not As I mentioned before, not necessarily directed to uh, preparation of bomb attack, but also try to sustain and try to develop the membership, expanding the networks and so on, yeah. Because I guess it's like a group like no other, like a business at the end of the day and that money is important to come in. So now looking at Indonesia specifically, what has the Indonesian government been doing domestically and regionally um, in regards to counterterrorism, um, whether it be domestically within the borders or looking more broadly out at Southeast Asia? Uh, in terms of counterterrorism uh, policy, prior to the 2002 Bali bombings, uh, the government's capacity to address terrorist threat was very limited because uh, it is it was lack of political will to respond to terrorist threat and lack of experience and resources given to Indonesia leading counterterrorism unit at that time. We don't have specialized unit in countering terrorism finance, uh, counterterrorism and counterterrorism financing in the Indonesian under Indonesian National Police. But after uh, Bali bombings, uh, Indonesia more focused on its efforts in developing intelligence and terrorist arrest capabilities, especially in three areas. Uh, when we passed the Indonesia uh, anti-terrorism law, for example, and Indone- uh, the Indonesian National Police created a dedicated unit in 2003 with training and financial assistance from the United States, United Kingdom, and also Australia. The last one uh, in that time, like we also considered to enhance the capacity by restructuring the interagency lines of coordination. Uh, then in 2002, we also established uh, Indonesian, the Indonesian Financial Intelligence Unit called INTRAC as part of the approach uh, manifest for uh, counterterrorism policy. 
um, that's uh, the first establishment that we have um, after 2010 and until now. Uh, we also expanded uh, some of the power of specialized unit of counterterrorism forces under Indonesian National Police. By we issued the new law number five, uh, year 2018, on anti-terrorism law. Um, this uh, new law enabled the counterterrorism forces to conduct preventive detention of terrorist suspect and extended uh, their scope of activities to prosecute terrorism-related offenses. The impact is we have a rising number of terrorists arrested, which is a good sign of how law enforcement work. Uh, and then we also created um, the national plan against extremism. So uh, the approach is not only after we had an incident, but it's also also how we prevent the next incident, how we prevent the rising number of radical groups or extremist groups. So it is um, the development of Indonesian counterterrorism policy. In the other side, we after 2002, we also applied a counterterrorism financing approach by establishing the financial intelligence unit, and we produce a large number of financial intelligence reports to be disseminated, disseminated to law enforcement, including police and prosecutors, for criminalizing terrorism financing as part of counterterrorism because we know money is the primary element of their activities. So by uh, conducting more stringent CFT regime, counterfinancing of terrorism regime, uh, the, uh, the improvement um, are highly regarded by countries in the Southeast Asia region and Asia Pacific as well because we develop financial regulations for identifying and monitoring customers uh, in the so, uh, financial service providers. We also develop uh, indicators of suspicious financial transactions related with terrorism and terrorism financing. Um, yeah, that's uh, how we approach counterterrorism uh, concurrently with the counterterrorism financing in Indonesia. And looking at kind of that end goal or you've been saying how there's been increased arrests as a result of these initiatives that have been put in place. How is de-radicalisation a factor in that process or is it a factor at all? Where do these individuals go from being incarcerated to potentially being reintegrated back into society? Yeah, there's, um, I think it is a, uh, still a, a homework for us about the radicalization program in Indonesia because uh, we still have insufficient measures uh, in evaluating uh, whether the radicalization program works or not after they have been released from from the prisons or from the jail. So there are two two um, component of approach. The first one for for those who have been released from the jail and then the second one for the families, how they, uh, they in, uh, reintegrate to, to the community and also uh, an approach for the community itself, how they could respond to this kind of people who, like we call it ex-terrorists, for example. Um, yeah, uh, the, the central authority of developing this approach is the 
National Counterterrorism Agency. They work together with the civil society organization, the one that I said uh, before about the national action plans on uh, countering violent extremism. So now uh, the approach is more stringent on how um, we advocate people and public on uh, in how to, to support the government in bringing back this family to the community. It is very hard because it's related with the ideology. Um, the, and then the, the, the approach is not only religious approach from, for example, the local religious leader, but also in the social and economic approach as well because they need jobs. Um, they need uh, acknowledgement from the community. Uh, it is very hard, and I still I think it's still going on. Uh, but the most important one, because the government could never work by themselves, so they need um, civil society organizations involved in this national action plan. So, looking back at Australia's involvement in assisting Indonesia with their prison wardens and the prison systems, how do you think Australia's involvement in that area? has impacted the terrorist landscape in Indonesia and why do you think it's important to address? Mm. When we discuss with the Australian government about um, what we need for assistance, so we found we had a big problems in, um, uh, in the, um, the rising numbers of uh, recidivists rejoin the terrorist group. S- uh, even they undertake more prominent roles, uh, not only in extremist activities, but also in the uh, financial aspects, because uh, this problem uh, could also uh, expand to the development of terrorist networks in the future. They could uh, educate or doing propaganda to the families, especially for the children. So, uh, so we we observe this problem and then we ask Australia whether they can share their uh, their experience in how to address this problem because this is also related with the radicalization. So the problem of the radicalization program, it's not only about the, uh, the terrorist uh, offenders, the families, but also the jail warden officer who can also can create a relationship with them and um, could also resolve uh, and assess whether they are still uh, high risk or not. So this is the problem in the prison system in Indonesia, and I'm sure it's also experienced by other countries as well. I think it's a problem all around the world at the moment in terms of how, whether or not de-radicalisation works and how to measure it. Um, and I think speaking to that cooperation um, around the world and especially in the region of Southeast Asia, how, what has Australia's relationship been like with Indonesia looking at counterterrorism in the region? Obviously, Indonesia is our next-door neighbour, and I guess you would assume that the, the threats of Indonesia remain somewhat the same to that of Australia. So what does that relationship look like in regards to counterterrorism? Australia has been uh, very close with uh, uh, Indonesia in terms of counterterrorism and also in terms of counterterrorism financing uh, strategy in counterterrorism area. From what I know and what I understand now, Australia through the Department of Foreign Affairs, uh, they place a lot of s- financial support, for example, to educate a uh, jail warden because we have uh, overcrowding pr- uh, prisons, uh, and then 
uh, there are a lot of difficulties and challenges in even in in the prisons like how the uh, how the jail warden officer could determine uh, and to evaluate or to measure uh, the level of radical uh, the level of radicalism on these people as well so the Australian government help in pledging assistance and provides experts uh, in uh, educating them um, for high-risk prisoners. The second one is in the PCVE framework, uh, preventing and countering violent extremism. Uh, Australian government also contribute in the research by uh, local institutions and also through National Counterterrorism Agency in the area of counterfinancing of terrorism uh, with Indonesia and uh, ASEAN countries, we have been uh, in one framework of financial intelligence and consultative group for ASEAN and uh, Australia and New Zealand as well. So this group is an exchanging of information and cooperation uh, in terms of providing experts or educating uh, people working in financial service providers, law enforcement and financial intelligence units in combating terrorism financing. There are also some programs of analyst exchange program uh, sponsored by Australian the Australian government uh, where uh, we exchange the financial intelligence analysts from Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, um, yeah. Uh, to Australia, uh, coming to Australia and exchange the capabilities of uh, financial intelligence approach. Another thing, Australia also has been a, a major, uh, like, a major contributor in supporting Indonesia uh, to be the member of if ATF Financial Action Task Force. So we have a very close cooperation with Australia in counterterrorism and counterterrorism financing. And I guess the point in question to ask in regards to the general counterterrorism as well as your area of counterterrorism financing, in your view, has it been effective? I know this has been the area of research for you mm-hmm. in terms of looking at what the Indonesian government's saying and then what your research is revealing. Has it been effective at countering terrorism? During my PhD research, I've been interviewing uh people in the expertise of counterterrorism and counterterrorism financing. So actually there is no assessment uh, of the efficacy of cooperations, but in my opinion, uh, it is uh, still difficult to say uh, it is an effective countermeasures because uh, of course we have a good rating for compliance with the international standards, but uh, the fact and the findings that I've uh, I identified from my research lab that the national policies have not yet caught up with the development of terrorism financing crime in Indonesia and in in the regions, so especially in addressing emerging emerging trends of terrorism financing. Um, there are several emerging trends. For example, uh, we need a sufficient capabilities in countering the issue of uh, potentiality financial technology abused by terrorist group for terrorism financing, the, um, the misuse of illegal money remittances, which is still uh, unregistered, uh, the rising non-profit organizations abu- abuse or establish uh, intentionally for uh, terrorism financing purposes, the rising uh, role of women in terrorism financing. So there are still a lot of uh, problems and challenges 
in terms of countering terrorism financing that uh, still we say it as difficult to determine whether it is effective or not the current countermeasures. And after your research and study into counterterrorism financing, um, what do you see as the future and which strategy do you have the most hope for in combating terrorism? Of course, the the main statement that I can mention here is closing the gaps of the policy that we have. Uh, we have to realise that the government, through their counterterrorism policy or approach, they couldn't work uh, by themselves. They need uh, other elements. That's why we need uh, public partnership with the government uh, and also the community partnership because uh, in terms of the families of terrorism group, for example, uh, the government cannot reach because hundreds of people involved in that. Uh, so it is very important to collaborate with the civil society organizations in art advocate them, uh, especially in the approach how to disengage these families from the actual terrorist organization or networks. Uh, the second one, it is also important to evaluate the current approach, uh, whether it is effective or not, uh, by doing more research on terrorism and terrorism financing, especially in terrorism financing because it's a very uh, specialized area. Uh, how can we do the research? So we need to collaborate with the academics as well, uh, try to use their hands in doing uh, evidence-based research, for example. And, uh, and finally, we have to address the emerging trends because my approach is uh, if we can track the money, we can disrupt their financial resources, uh, we will give them a very small room to improve their networks. Mm -hmm. So that, as I mentioned before, some of the key issues that we have to address, uh, the non-profit organizations or charities used for public funding of terrorism activities. The second one, the, uh, the, the abuse of women in terrorism financing roles, the use of financial technology, uh, this kind of area that we have to close the gaps and we have to find the best solution and strategy to uh, overcome this issue becoming very dominant in the coming years. Yeah. Finally, I guess in on that theme of education, is there any resources that you could suggest for um, our listeners at home to follow up? more information on counter-terrorism financing? Yeah, there, uh, there are a range of resources that you could um, obtain a lot of information on them. Uh, for example, the terrorism journals uh, or some uh, regional terrorism uh, journals like published in Singapore, uh, counter-terrorism and trend analysis, for example, uh, to see... Um, particular issue in the region regarding the increasing threat of terrorism and violent extremism. Uh, it's not only for religious terrorism itself, but also the development of right-wing extremism. That's, for example, for terrorism financing, uh, I know it's a uh, very little research on this area, especially focusing on the uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, I contribute uh, in some of my writings about terrorism financing, uh, and I publish in the media and also in the journals as well. Uh, the most important one you could explore is from the 
Asia Pacific Group on money laundering. Their website always offer uh, information or the recent trends and typologies of money laundering and terrorism financing as well. Uh, also, the evaluation of country compliance on applying uh, counter-terrorism financing and anti-money laundering approach. That's uh, There are a lot of in the media as well information about that, but most of uh, the analysis you can find in these kind of journals, yeah. Wonderful. Well, that's a great array of resources for our listeners to read further. So on that note, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. It's been a great pleasure to have you on board and I'm sure we found it listening. We found it really interesting, but I'm sure our listeners will find it fascinating as well. So thank you for coming on board.